on the road by Jack Kerouac. The only people for me are the mad ones. The ones who are mad to live, mad to talk, mad to be saved, desirous of everything at the same time. The ones who never yawn or say a commonplace thing, but burn, burn, burn like fabulous yellow Roman candles, exploding like the spiders across the stars. Hey, this is Ali Ruskash, and welcome to the Air Podcast. This is the AR Podcast. The year was 1994. The grunge style had completely taken over the American fashion world, a style derived from clothes worn by Seattle rock musicians. Grunge was an assortment of jackets, vests, sweaters, skirts, scarves, and footwear that resemble hiking boots. Mark Jacobs and Johnny Versace had developed a grunge collection. Giorgio Armani had just figured out ways to tailor the grunge style to the taste of both men and women. And Yves Saint Laurent had recently found out that using real fur was an invitation for passionate protests from animal rights activists. Meanwhile, an 18-year-old graphic designer called Nima Behnoud had arrived in the U.S. and had a lot to look forward to. He understood the differences right off the bat and knew the challenges ahead. Computers had revolutionized the graphic design, and along with the challenge of a new language, he had a lot of catching up to do. You, you got to remember, at a time that I left Iran, it wasn't like right now. You know, yeah. right, right now the exposure in Iran is extreme. People have uh, satellite TVs, and you know they're very well connected. Everybody speaks English. Um, they don't have that much problem. But at the time that I left, I was about 17, 18 years old, and um, it was a huge step. So we had to learn English and adapt to the new culture and all of that. Right now, when I see somebody who just came from Iran, they can speak English fluently. Um, the generation changed uh, for better, I should say. They're very smart. Uh, they speak English fluently, and, and that's a wonderful thing. But at, at our time, which is... Yeah pre-internet time yeah. uh, I think things were really different so yeah we had to we had to adapt Nima was still attending college when he first understood the impact of the Iranian culture on the people of other countries in a class hated by the graphic design students called screen printing Nima had a few t-shirts printed with Iranian motifs the other students in the class loved the design so much that they wanted to buy them from him back then for a young Nima Behnoud, the amazing world of Nimani was still quite unknown. He probably had no idea how big of an impact his brand was about to make. Honestly, let me first correct you. I don't think it's big now. Uh, it's, <laughs> a, it's a work in progress. It's, it's a project that you know we're putting a lot of efforts to it. But I never thought about it that way. I never thought that I would actually manage a brand in a way, I was just a simple artist and a graphic designer at best. And um, having having to manage a fashion brand is a different thing. You know, it comes from a business mindset. Uh, I didn't have that 
I slowly developed that, especially in the city of New York. Um, so yeah, I didn't think about it like that at all. Uh, I should say New York played a major role in that. That's why I added NY for the city of New York to my first name and made the name of the brand because it was only possible when I was in New York to bring all of those dreams into somewhat of a reality. Uh, yeah. Prior to that, I was in California for a few years before I arrived in New York. Um, in California, it's still this was a far-fetched idea that would never come to reality. But once I arrived in New York, things changed. Uh, the energy of this city is in a way that you actually get to experience a lot of your dreams in a reality format. I see. That's amazing. Um, your, I'd say the variety of your designs is, are endless. Uh, and uh, I'd say, like, you know, every time I look at a design done by Nimani, uh, I see, of course, I see the Iranian culture. It could be as simple as, uh, you know, just having a letter on it, uh, on a T-shirt or a design, uh, or it could be a part of a poem, for example. Uh, but the Iranian culture is there, and I can see it. But I want to know how uh, the design process of something like that takes place. I want to know if it's okay with you, if you could walk us through the design process of Nimani. Sure. Um, so one thing that is very crucial is how people see this brand from Iran and how people see this brand from outside Iran. Yeah. So uh, people from Iran may look at it and be like, what's the big deal? This guy is throwing one letter all over the place and keep using the same thing over and over and over again. When you're in New York, the competition is fierce and it's a, it's a very different world here. And my audience is not Iranian audience here. So I have to create something that is appealing to this non-Iranian audience. Uh, and that's very challenging because at the same time, the Iranian audience have to look at it and think it's interesting. Um, so it has to be simple enough that is international, but it has to be Iranian enough that stays true with the DNA. Uh, and it has to have the respect of people in Iran who are looking at it. So it's, it's very difficult in that sense, you know. Um, I can't just go grab a piece of Paris police and throw it out on a bag and be like, here you go, it's a Persian bag. It has to look like a bag that came out in this season. It has to look like a bag that ladies in New York would want to touch it. The colors need to match the color forecasting of uh, any fashion forecasting out there. Um, all of the elements need to be there. I mean, I stay true to the DNA. I want it to be Persian. I want it to be Iranian. But um, I can't create something that in the framework of fashion, it doesn't make sense. So uh, a lot of people ask me, um, why don't you guys make jewelry with a different letter? Uh, go through the alphabet, you know, use all of them. It's not about that. It's about finding the right aesthetic in one letter that works because it's the most international looking letter. Uh, and then you start expanding upon that letter. So it's not that we are incapable of grabbing an, onto another letter and we're just not even a custom jewelry brand here that goes and makes people's first names into pendants and things like that. It's just, you know, the brand has to look good in front of very, very critical eyes in New York City, which is the most critical out of all the places in the world. 
Is that why you've used uh, the letter that is right behind you? And uh, it's the 31st letter of the uh, Iranian alphabet. And it's He, if, if I want to be more specific. Uh, is that a reason you're using that letter so much? Yeah, I mean, honestly, um, I can philosophize this for you until the cows come home. But the truth <laughs> of the matter is, uh, this letter looks good. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's all there is to it. It looks great. You know, it, it sits everywhere correctly. It doesn't look like, let's say, Arabic alphabet. Not that anything is wrong with Arabic alphabet, but people don't associate it with a Persian or Arabic alphabet. They look at it and they, you know, I have clients here that they think it's a head of a snake. Somebody thinks it's a face of an owl. Um, there is a positive negative space, which makes any design interesting. Um, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a cool thing. People connect to it and therefore we use it. I see. Uh, do you think, uh, like, you know, I've seen, uh, of course, your designs and uh, I've seen calligraphy, basically, uh, it's an ever-present motif in, inside your designs. I want to know, um, do you think you could ever, uh, like, you know, change, I'd say, uh, focus a little bit and uh, go from uh, calligraphy to something completely different in the still in the Iranian culture and make that in, into something as big as calligraphy um, that is right now, basically the motive of your designs. That's exactly what we did, exactly as you said. Um, right after, you know, from 2005 for about four or five years, we were a T-shirt brand only. Yeah. And, and we made T-shirts only. And I used calligraphy because at that time, I discovered it and I was like, this is beautiful and it can sit on a T-shirt and everybody else is going to like the T-shirt and nobody knows it's a typography. You know, I, uh, when the first sets of uh, Nimani T-shirts came out, there were only a few people that realized that this is a typography of a culture. They thought it's some sort of a, abstract drawings. So yeah, we, we did do that. But right after the T-shirts did its course for four or five years, uh, this... Iranian calligraphy was all over the place. Everybody was using it and abusing it and misusing it. So I immediately shifted towards uh, more of a conceptual pieces like uh, epic battles from the Shahnameh, the Book of the Kings, uh, and things like that. And I stayed away from calligraphy. And as you see, since uh, 2010, it's about 10 years that we're not using calligraphy unless in really small dosage on scarves and things like that. But accessories don't have any calligraphy on it. Not that, I mean, Persian calligraphy is beautiful when you compare it to the region, to the Kufi uh, scripture, to the souls. Persian calligraphy is beautiful. It's the most romantic, poetic way of having a typography in any culture. It, it's fantastic, but it's been overused. So uh, we have to really uh, simplify it and stylize it and make it the right dosage. I see. Uh, I, I was uh, watching a report on, uh, I think it was uh, either uh, BBC Persia or it was uh, VOA. I have uh, like, I don't really remember, but it was a report that uh, it was uh, of an exhibition that you had and uh, it was basically your uh, graphic design work. And uh, that got me thinking, uh, do you want to be known as a graphic designer or as a fashion, uh, like, you know, designer? Um, I think you're referring to my paintings, right? Uh, yes, yeah. With the yes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, my academic studies were fine arts, were uh, studying painting and graphic design and things like that. It was never fashion. I never studied fashion, so um, I consider myself an artist. But 
the circumstances, especially the city of New York and having to show somebody to the world uh, made a little bit of a businessman out of me. So, um, and I don't, I'm not ashamed of it and I don't deny it. So uh, a lot of people are asking me, you know, how could you be designing a handbag and a clutch? And at the same time, you have these paintings, you're either this or either that. In, in my mind, uh, art is not so black and white. You can't say you're either this or that. You could be a fantastic photographer and also a businessman and a I mean, Carl Lagerfeld, for example, is a phenomenal photographer. He's a fine art photographer. And he's a creative director of the, the biggest brand in the world. Uh, and he's a great businessman. So, um, yeah, you know, that was a classical way of thinking that and a fine artist has to look a certain way, has to have facial hair and a hat and always, you know, talk in low tone and do all sorts of things. And a businessman is a guy in a tie and a suit. Those mm-hmm. things are finished. Nowadays, things are very different. You know, you have a skateboard artist who's a who's making $10 million a year and he's a businessman. So yeah, all those lines are faded. Maybe still in some classical mindsets, people still think that way. I don't agree with it. I think uh, you can be a painter and tomorrow you decide to be a photographer, more power to you, why not? Um, I love my paintings because they're very dear to me because I started them when I was very, very young. Um, and, And I cherish them and I look at them very different than the brand because even when I sell a painting, I always don't want to sell them because uh, I don't have to sell them. I still want to keep them. It's very precious for me. Uh, I don't think the same with with a handbag or with a jewelry item because these are a commercial product at the end, even though we spend a great time putting a DNA of a culture and artistic touch to it. But it's it's a product for sale and uh like you came up with the design uh, and uh, like the calligraphy and um and then all of a sudden everybody in the world were talking about you and i'm pretty sure it just went out like a bang it was a huge bomb must have been and then uh i want to know if you ever felt like you know uh, this is something that uh somebody can uh copy tomorrow and uh, all of a sudden, like, you know, uh, a lot of people would say, hey, this guy is doing the same thing. And like, you know, did you ever feel like, you know, threatened a little bit? People do copy um, and get inspired. Um, there's a fine line between inspiration and replication. But um, I don't see anything wrong with that. You know, uh, people can. I'm actually happy if a, if a person in Iran who's a designer decides to replicate something that I made rather than replicating Louis Vuitton or Fendi. You know, it, yeah. it's a wonderful thing. Um, more power to them. They can copy as much as they want. Um, I don't feel threatened. I, I get happy because that means they liked it so much that they, they decide to copy it. And, and it's part of their culture. I don't own it. So, sure, go ahead and copy it. It's fine. Yeah. And um, your designs, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're, of course, as you talked about it, they're very, very much international. Like I've seen uh, people of other countries talk about it. Uh, and uh, everybody is just like the letter hey right behind you. It's, it's very uh, nice and pleasing to look at. But at the same time, it was crazy. Uh, just like a couple of days ago, my wife was on Instagram and she was checking some of the some of the pictures on the money. And she uh, basically stumbled upon this picture of a, I think it was a person 
was a handbag that had the letter of hey on on top of it and it was for her it was really really pleasing to look at and she was like i i uh, need this i want this in my life basically you have to get it for her yeah, I th- I think I should. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. But it just it just uh, tells me that this uh, what and what you're doing is very much international. We we really really try hard to make it international, and it's very easy not to make it international. You know, um, uh, at some points when Nimani was starting, I got carried away and I put pictures of uh, you know my favorite uh, classical politicians and poets and whatnot on the t-shirt sure it was just for my own self to make me feel good but uh people didn't connect to that my uh international clients didn't like it not that they didn't like it they didn't understand it so it's a tricky thing you know there is a lot of things out there in iranian culture that i would love to use because i like them and i connect to them but that doesn't necessarily mean that my audience is going to connect to it so and we can't do that because, you know, there is a factory and a production and we, we can't just roll out something that I like personally and everybody else is not going to like. And, and, you know, it's just any social movement in Iran. Everybody sends us a lot of messages. How come you guys didn't make a product for this? <laughs> we, even if I want to do that, we can't do that. There is a factory. There is a line of, you know, assembly. And we can't just move on with all the social or political uh, up and downs of the world. This is just like any other fashion brand. I understand. And you did talk about uh, some of the uh, designs that uh, back then maybe you thought it was pretty nice, but now you're saying, uh, why did I even do that? Like, do you have any other designs in your head that, uh, like, you know, when you started designing, you were like, oh, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. But then now you're like, ah, this was this was pretty bad. Right. Yeah. No. All the time. All the time. You have to understand that. I'm also growing as the brand is growing and people around me are growing, you know, people that uh, give me advice, my advisors and my creative people that my team, they're growing, I'm growing. So all the comments that they made 10 years ago uh, might not be valid today. So, you know, and I reacted upon those comments many, many times, you know, oh my God, this is a great idea. Why don't we go and do that? Everybody loves it. Uh, And today when I look at it, it was not such a great idea. So, and I'm sure in 10, 20 years, uh, I'm going to say the same thing about today. So we are evolving and we're not supposed to get it right every time. I see. And I always like, you know, uh, wanted to know as somebody who's the uh, head of a brand, I want to know, how do you check the feedback on some of the, um, like, you know, uh, products that you have? How do you, uh, like, do you read comments online or uh, like, how does that work? All the time. Uh, comments are very important, uh, negative or positive. Uh, negative is usually more important because maybe we learned something from it. Uh, praising and positive comments are wonderful too, but they're not necessarily constructive in a way. Uh, we have to, we get a lot of comments, uh, but we have to understand where the comment is coming from. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if, if the comment is coming from the core of our audience, then it's a valuable comment. We're going to listen to it, react upon it. If the comment is coming from somewhere who is very far from this audience, who's very far from the arena of a fashion brand, we listen to it, but we can't act upon it because it's not going to translate into something lucrative. You know, it's uh, it's just something to hear and have it in our mind, but 
we can't necessarily implement that. I see. Uh, you um, basically had an idea and you made that idea into uh, amazing work. I want to know uh, if you have any suggestions for anybody who's out there and uh, who's a very young, I'd say, designer and they want to ha- know uh, about your uh, basically work and how you got here. Like, what suggestions do you have? Um, to be honest, um, my the best advice that I can give somebody who wants to start anything is like, don't go after thinking about money so much in the beginning. Uh, mm-hmm. I get a lot of emails and texts and, uh, you know, Instagram messages. People are asking, how much money do you need to start something like that? You know, how much capital do you need? It's not about that because I've had thousands of examples where people had major capital. I had none. I had zero. And I, and I had to work uh, you know, two shifts a day in order to fund myself. But it didn't matter, really. The most important thing is uh, don't be too picky. If you have an idea, start rolling it out. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be 100% there. Slowly as you work on it, you're going to learn. Uh, and an example, the first, first line of T-shirts I printed myself, I forgot to cure them. I forgot to put them in the oven. So whoever bought it from me washed it and everything was gone. <laughs> and they came and they yelled at me and they're like, oh, this stupid guy didn't even know how to print a T-shirt. Okay, yeah, but guess what? I did do the T-shirt. I made the T-shirt anyways. Um, I forgot to cure it. And that's because the machine that cures it is very expensive and not everybody has it, blah, blah, blah. And I thought if I do it at home, it's going to be good enough. So don't be picky. Don't be stuck on financials of it the most important thing is you show the world what your idea looks like and slowly and slowly the money is going to come itself so uh that's my only advice because i hear a lot of people are asking me money money you know i wish i had money i wish somebody was giving me some sort of investment it's really not about that i see and um what's next for nimani we we took a major step two years ago and we got into the world of Persian rug, which is a, which is a very uh, magical thing. And it's a crown achievement of Iranian culture. You know, the, the Persian carpet is a very important thing. And, and I've been following the pattern and the look of a Persian carpet. And, you know, my friends make fun of me. They're like, you hate the Persian carpet. How come you made cotton? <laughs> um, so the framework of a classical Persian rug I don't necessarily like it. It's so symmetrical and it's, you know, lots of flowers and animals and whatnot. Um, And I always thought that this could be really interesting. And by interesting, I mean, it could be in an acceptable position for everybody, not only Iranians. Um, So I'm experimenting with that. You know, I I brought a lot of my paintings and I had uh, fantastic artisans, uh, with silk and hand, handmade, hand-weaved uh, rugs, uh, create a rug version of the painting. Uh, and they look fantastic. And I'm still experimenting with it. But it's very interesting because it's a big item. It's the largest item we've had. And we are tapping into a very, very different audience. Uh, and I'm learning a lot about this audience, what they like, what they don't like. Uh, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. And the more I get involved in it, I understand the beauty of that classical Persian carpet that I never liked too. 
Yeah. You know, I understand. I mean, I still think it's about 80% craftsmanship and 20% creativity, but I understand it. You know, I, I know where it comes from and I appreciate it. Yeah, and knowing you and the path that you've taken, I'm pretty sure uh, whatever you think of, it's going to be amazing. So I'm, I'm going to be looking forward to it. Not always <laughs> like that, but we like to think that way. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so um, uh, thank you so much, uh, and, and It was uh, it was amazing to know that I was going to talk to you, and I've been looking forward to this. Uh, you have no no idea since when. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, and it's crazy basically to uh, be able to talk to you like this. Uh, and thank you so much for for the time. Thank You're you. welcome. I, I hope that it's helpful for your audience and uh, they get to get something uh, useful out of it. Of course they will. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You're all an integral part of the Era podcast, and I cannot be more grateful to have you as audience. Of course, none of this would be possible without Ordubej Pastry. They have a variety of amazing cookies and cakes, and not only do they look amazing, but they also taste wonderful. You can find them on Instagram at Ordubej Pastry. This has been Ali Ruskash, the creator of the Air Podcast. This was the AR Podcast. AR Podcast.